For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Wall of Jerusalem has been rebuilt and there's now a Jewish presence back in the Promised Land enjoying God's blessing. A celebration of thanksgiving has led to a national prayer of confession that has brought about godly repentance. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Renewing Their Vows. Alrighty, let's get started. We are going to finish up. Uh, We are heading toward the end of the book of Nehemiah. We are in chapter uh, 10 tonight. Only a couple more, three more chapters, and uh, we'll be looking at the conclusion of the book. So tonight, very touching uh, chapter as Israel is really pledging their hearts back to the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Heavenly Father, as your people tonight are, are seen uh, with some tearful confession and renewing of vows, they just want to please you, Lord, and, and never go back to how it used to be when they were rebellious. And Lord, there's a lot to learn and be inspired from their le- by them as a lesson. So we just pray, Father, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts and help us to um, take something away that will be helpful in our daily renewing of our vows with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, back first when the church uh, started in Sebastopol, um, in our very first building, we had a young couple come to me and ask to renew uh, their vows. Uh, they had been married 10 years, and they had gone through the last couple years of that had been quite tumultuous. Um, but God had miraculously intervened and sustained them through the uh, rough patch. And uh, uh, because of what they had been through, they wanted to stand before God's people and, and in the presence of the Lord and say, I do, all over again. And so friends and family gathered. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to a renewal of vows. Anybody yeah, so quite a few of you. Very special moment, very poignant. And uh, I'm happy uh, to say that that couple is going strong 13 years later. Reminds me of what's going on, as I mentioned kind of earlier here in chapter 10, kind of 9 and 10 uh, of Nehemiah. The covenant between Yahweh, and by the way, Yahweh or Jehovah, you're saying the same thing, only pronouncing it uh, differently. There are two options really in Hebrew. Uh, The covenant between, uh, or the marriage, you could say, you know, the Lord Yahweh considered Israel his bride. And so uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 3 and verse uh, 14 talks about that. But anyway, their relationship had been, uh, talk about tumultuous, Uh, Israel had really been unfaithful, cheated on her husband and paid the dear price. Uh, 70 years uh, exiled from the promised land. Um, Really, the promised land was reduced to like a haunt for jackals and scorpions, you know. Uh, There there went the milk and the honey. Uh, But 
Uh, Jerusalem lay in ruins for about 150 years, uh, but the marriage did not end in divorce, nor shall it ever, because of the faithfulness of one party involved, uh, the Lord. And so he says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So he stirred up uh, hearts and the Jewish people after 150 years, uh, 70 technically, but it took them 150 years from the disaster of leveling of Jerusalem to be back in the land, have the temple up and running, to have Jerusalem, a city wall all rebuilt and the gates hung and the houses uh, reconstructed and the Jewish presence back in the promised land and the Jews and the Hebrews themselves back in those houses. And so up from the ashes, 150 years now later, uh, the, the milk and the honey is flowing again. There's a Jewish presence in Jerusalem and they're worshiping the Lord in the temple Everything's going well. And so here in chapters 9, spilling over into chapter 10, which we're going to take a look at tonight, there was just a big Jewish celebration of Thanksgiving, and which led to a time of national repentance and confession. Uh, because if you don't confess, it just means to tell the truth about. If you can't recognize what went wrong, where you took the wrong path, how are you ever going to not repeat uh, that terrible history. And so they don't want to go back there. So they want to renew their vows. That means uh, confessing really Israel's repeated failure and God's repeated mercy and faithfulness. And that's what they've just been doing. We left them praying and praising the Lord and confessing their sins, uh, which has been turning out now to be renewal of vows. They're actually going to seal a document along with their uh, uh, audible praying and taking of oaths, but they're going to stamp it, you know, uh, one by one. And we get tonight in chapter 10, we get to see a little bit of the content of, you, you know, when the, uh, the, you hand the mic to the groom or the bride and they get to say their vows, you know. And it's interesting when they write their own you really can see what's on their heart. Well, we're going to see their personalized vows tonight. Now, at first you read them and you're like, what? It, just, it doesn't make sense because we're talking thousands of years ago in a Jewish culture. But there are spiritual applications that just straight on translate, straight on into the Christian life. And uh, it's fun to see that happen. So let's take a look at their personalized vows. We're going to start at the last verse of chapter 9 because the Hebrew Bible does that. Chapter 10, verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible is actually chapters 9, the last verse. And uh, so I just put it all together for you, all right? So now in view of all of this prayer of confession and the whole history of their repeated failure and God's repeated mercy. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites and our priests, are affixing their seals to it. Those who sealed it, now we're in chapter 10 of our Bible, verse 1. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor and then a list of 84 names. So if you've got your open Bible in front of you, you see 84 names. Now, if you're looking for a baby name, there you go. <laughs> 84 to choose from, and I am not going to be reading them to you tonight. Though I have that written right there. List of 84 names for you to enjoy tonight instead of television. 
Now that brings us down to verse 28. So let's just repeat. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor plus 84 names then. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, the Bible, the word of God, together with their wives and all the sons and daughters who were able to understand all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. And so we're going to stop there first and take a look at the vow, and then we're going to see their personalized uh, pledges. All right. So first of all, uh, getting serious. If you're taking notes, I've, I have down here, number one, getting serious, the vow. All right. There comes a time in the life of every Christian, first of all, we have seasons of hot and cold with God. Everybody does. I do. Everybody. And where you just feel like, I, uh, you know, I've loved the Lord more at a, at a time in the past. Uh, and, and there, but there comes a time when we're in those periods where we get tired of mediocrity or hypocrisy or just riding on, on fumes, you know, it's terrible to have gifts in the Lord because you can function with the gifts, they're, irre they're irrevocable. In other words, whether you're really hot in your quiet time or not, you can function in the gift that God's given you and he's given everybody a gift. So that's the problem is that you can function fine in the gifting and think everything's okay. But, it, but there comes that time when you just want to say, oh, I'm tired of faking it. And I just want a real, genuine, not perfect, just a genuine relationship with God where I walk in the light and I enjoy his love and I'm just real. I'm, I'm the way that I am on the inside and outside. Sunday church, the same way I am at home. And so they're tired they're just tired of playing games and they've been confessing it out and just saying, God, we're going to bait some vows here. It's time for some changing. Alexander White is a, uh, a Scottish Bible scholar from the 1800s. He said the victorious Christian life is a series of new uh, beginnings. So it was time to lay all the pretense aside and get serious and make some vows here. So... Um, one writer said, you know, it's what comes after the amen that matters. Amen. Uh, there you go. <laughs> now you got to live it out, you see? So everybody can say amen, but it's after the tears, after the warm fuzzies, after, whoa, that was a great message, or that was a great worship service, or whatever it is that, that tickled inside and got a hold of you, and then you said amen, and then you got in the car. Right? Right? Yeah, we've all been there, you know. And the, as soon as you go out in the car and the kids are exploding and your patience is thin and it's like, it, it's hard to live the Christian life. It's easy here, uh, but it's hard. So um, it's time to get rid of all of that, you know. And so here we go with some vows at least. And so the signatories, those who have signed, uh, are listed here. Uh, two through eight, you have the priests, and then the Levites are in nine through 13, which are not 
on the screen. And then verses 14 through 27 are the leaders. So that's what it goes. Priests, uh, Levites, and the leaders are signing. Now, um, if you, I treat this Wednesday night like a seminary class, so it's more like a Bible study to me. So I'm going to stop and tell you what the difference between a priest and a Levite is. I don't think I would do that on a Sunday morning. You know, I mean, you, you came out on a Wednesday night for an Old Testament study in, in Nehemiah. Come on. You deserve this. So uh, the, the different, you know, Jesus said, you know, uh, let me tell you a story about a guy who was uh, beat up and left for dead. And that, uh, a very religious man, a priest came by uh, and he walked on the other side. Then after him, a Levite came. What? I thought priests were Levites and Levites were priests or what is it? Well, all priests are Levites because they come from the tribe of Levi. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Levi. Right? So they all descend from Levi. But not all Levites are priests. The Levites all were instructed to help with the sanctuary stuff. They could move the tabernacle. They were the assistants to the pastors. But they were pastors. They were to actually teach. But in order to work at the altar and offer blood sacrifices and um, be in the holy place, uh, that you had to descend. Yes, you were a Levite, but you had to descend from Aaron, Moses' brother. You had to be blood, straight line. His sons all the way down were uh, priests. Okay, so that's just a difference that, uh, I I mean, it's good to know uh, what we're reading here. By the way, Jesus doesn't descend from Levi. He descends from another brother, Judah, right? Because Jesus making a point. I don't get my right to be, he's called the great high priest. So so the Jews are like, hey, he's not related to Levi. He's disqualified. Uh, No, Levi and all the priests from Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for their own sins They had to go into the temple with, okay, this is for me and my sins. Jesus gets his right to be a high priest above any man. He traces it back in the order of Melchizedek, which scholars say is another name for Jesus. Before he was incarnated, he was the eternal son of God, with God forever. The word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus and so he gets his authority to be high priest because he doesn't offer any blood for his own sins. He offers the blood of his holy life for our sins. And so I just thought I'd throw that in for free. Verses 28 and following, the, you got your, while the 84 uh, seals uh, are, are, are being signed, you know, the entire congregation uh, is making an oath and letting those 84 kind of represent them. And so they bound themselves with these vows. Uh, Notice in your text that it says, everybody who was old enough to understand. That happens a lot in the Old Testament, and it's teaching you this wonderful truth. There's an age of accountability in the Bible that God sees. He does not hold children and infants responsible for their actions. If an infant or a young child dies, they have a pass in straight because they are not uh, in an age of accountability. 
They don't understand enough, you know. Handicapped people the same way. When people can't grasp the truth, and the truth is what sets you free, and you have to understand who God is and who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, but that's compromised because you're a baby. You see, what did King David say when his infant son died? He said, listen, I'll go to him. I'll go to him. I'll see him. And he said that rightly. I believe that's in the Bible because it's inspired of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, everyone who could understand was a part of it. And now the vow, the vow is a really Jewish thing to vow. I mean, they had lots of vows. Um, a vow was like a credit card of worship. You know, they were saying, look, I don't have it right now. I'm not going to do it right now. But if such and such happens, then in the future, I'm going to worship you accordingly. And so there were these vows, you know, promise of uh, there was the kind of vow that said, hey, God, I'll just kind of. And this is very Jewish. God, if you do this, then I'll do that. You know, so Hannah says, listen, God, I'll tell you what. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. All right. Already. You know, so. Um, <laughs> I grew up with it, all right? So I know. Uh, and she did, right? Jonah, if you get me out of this alive, I'll actually go to Nineveh, all right? That's what he said in Jonah chapter 2. He said he made a vow. But it was contingent, sort of, you know. How about Jacob? Jacob did the same thing. If you take care of me and bless me, then I'll give you a tenth. That's so funny. Like God is like, whoa, wow, a tenth. <laughs> Of all your livestock, woohoo! And the angels were high five and like, whoa. <laughs> Just silly, silly, silly. Now, vows of dedication, you know, there were some vows that the Lord said, enter in with me, covenant with me, and respond. And there were some biblical ways to guide a vow. You know, there was the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow from the verb uh, nazir in the Hebrew, which means to consecrate or separate. So it could be temporary. It could be a lifetime. Uh, Samson was a lifetime Nazarite. Now get this straight, and it's going to blow your mind about your image of what Jesus looks like. The Renaissance painters made a mistake. They thought Jesus was a Nazarite. He's not a Nazarite. He drank wine. You can't drink wine if you're a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarene. There are two 100% different names completely. But the Renaissance painters, they don't, they don't read their Bibles. They just paint. They paint beautiful pictures. So you got Jesus with long flowing hair. It's incorrect. Jewish men in those days, first century, chopped their hair right at their ears. Right? That's the length of hair for Jesus because he was a Nazarene. Netzir from the Hebrew, means the branch. He's from Nazareth, which is funny because it fulfills sort of a prophecy about him that he should be called a Nazarene, uh, but that means the branch. He's also called the branch of the Lord, that the branch of life that fills the earth. And so I wanted to clear that up so bad. Every time I see the flowing hair, I'm like, oh, dudes, read your Bibles, you know? Amen. He doesn't have long hair. If you want him to have long hair, you can, he can have long hair. How many of you want? You just acted like, oh, you know. How many of you are glad to know that Jesus had a haircut? 
Whatever. I don't know what I'm saying at times. God encouraged uh, Israel to enter into these covenants here and there. And there were some guidelines. At Numbers 30, you'll see that. Um, Ecclesiastes 5 and 1 through 7. The guideline is this. Listen, don't be a fool, Solomon said. Do not be a fool and talk to God like he's one of your coworkers where you're just going to just rush into a vow because that's foolish. You're talking to God. If you make a promise to God, keep it even when it hurts. You see, that's what the scriptures will say about vows. Now, literally here in the text, it says in the Hebrew that they were cutting a covenant. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you will know that the word to make a covenant comes from cutting the animal sacrifices, because you'd make a covenant with somebody, and then you'd chop an animal sort of in half, and, and you, what you were saying is, this will happen to me if I break the covenant. May I be split in two. Now, interesting. The Old Testament covenant, Genesis 15. When God ratifies that agreement to bless Abraham and the Jews and his descendants and the land forever... There's a scene with this torch going through the middle of all these divided animals, and they're supposed to walk in between that, you see? But what's interesting to me, and they cut the covenant. God cut the covenant there, boom, blood, the whole thing. The interesting thing to me is Abraham's sleep. This is important. Abraham's sleeping while God is making the unilateral covenant with Israel. It will not depend on Israel. It will depend on God because Abraham is asleep. New Testament, it's time to cut a covenant. Now, a new arrangement. The word means arrangement. So he's making a new deal, right? He's going to cut it, though, so there's going to be blood. But now this time there, where's the animal? It's the Lord Jesus Christ is the animal who gets cut in half, right? But when that's ratified and it starts, the blood starts in the garden, when that blood starts to flow, Peter, James, and John are what? They're sleeping. Once again, the Old Testament is ratified. The dude who's being blessed is snoring and sawn logs, right? Because God's saying, Dude, if it were up to man, you'd all be dead, right? But it's up to me. It's up to me. This is the covenant in my blood. Drink this and remember me, you know? That's what it's like. This is the covenant. And so they want to renew uh, their vows. Um, Interesting and bold of them to say, hey, we've entered into a curse So they're kind of calling down a curse and saying, here's what they're saying. In renewing their vows, they agreed to accept a curse from God if they did not obey his word. Meaning, as one writer wrote, that they would accept that being unfaithful to God would bring something bad and unpleasant as a form of correction to bring them back to obedience. So they're saying, listen, God, right up front, we already know. If we depart from this, you can bring the smack down. 
and we'll deserve it, right? But we just want you to know that we're going in this knowing and accepting full well and saying, go ahead and bring the smack down. Because if we're stupid enough to bite the hand that feeds us, uh, well, then go ahead and, and bring the famine. Because it'll bring us back to you, right? We know the same thing. I mean, does anybody in this room as a Christian think you could commit adultery and not feel like you've broken the vows and not feel like God is going to... First of all, A, let your sin find you out, which it always will, which Numbers promises you. Your sin will find you out. Why? Because God loves you and wants to get you back on the right path. That's why he doesn't let it go buried because you go further and further and further and further away. He says, I've put a law in the universe for that sin. When you're out of order with me, there is a spiritual law that that has to bubble up to the front. Always. Uh, you'll always leave something undone, something on your phone, something somewhere. All right. Oh, elbows are flying. That's a bad sign. Well, I'm sure it's lesser offenses than what we're talking about. Yeah, but God will always uh, let that happen. So if you're living a double life, come on, you, you already know something. All they're saying is, we know something bad will come if we live a double life with you. And we're, we're just putting it up there. And we're, not, we're, we're saying, let it come. Let it come, because I'd rather it come, and I'd rather spend two years in jail and be right with you because of my stupidity. Do you see what they're saying? They just, they're serious. They're serious. Now, we wouldn't call, bind ourselves to a curse, but we would say, Lord, you know what? If I'm going to fall and make fools out of everybody at the rock, and I'm going to bring disgrace because I'm going to be in the press Democrat, I'd rather you kill me. Now, if I die early, <laughs> just, just, I'm just thinking of me saying that now. And I'm just, I thought, well, what if you die? They're all going to think you did something bad. <laughs> I could die of natural causes, and it would be okay, right? I just know that, yeah, anyway. Oh, yeah, but... You know, don't you know the feeling of, Lord, just, you know, really. Uh, I, I can tell you right now that, that the, the tumor that came upon me 13, 14, 15 years ago, it was a really good thing. It burned out of me a lot of stuff that needed to be burned out. Oh, I would rather have that happen so that I would be clean and on the right path, Right? And so that's what they're saying. Lord, if it's a tumor, send the tumor. That's what they're saying. Send, send the cops, you know, get the handcuffs on me. You know, I don't care because I want to serve you and love you. Uh, our Lord uh, seemed to discourage oath-taking for us. I don't think he prohibited it. Paul took a few vows I think he says, you know what? What a concept it would be if you guys could just avoid oaths because you have integrity and your yes means yes and your no means no. What a concept. That would be nice. You wouldn't have to say, I swear, this time, God, if you... you just, just do it. Just, yeah, that's what he's saying here. So uh, with Jesus and the new covenant, it's a different relationship with God. We're children. 
You know, and the father doesn't say, you know, you, you know, take a vow. You know, the, the father says, enjoy my love. You know, uh, the father wants obedience based in love. And Warren, Warren Wiersbe said this, we don't succeed as Christians because we make promises with God, but because we believe his promises and act accordingly. I really like that a lot. So uh, we don't need to... A vow, you know, in in an elaborate oath, or to uh, bring down curses on ourselves, uh, but uh, we do have to open our hearts and to obey. And what they say here, last last things, it's all about obeying carefully, just being careful with the word of God, the whole bunch of it, (laughs) commands, regulations, decrees, what's ever in the Lord and applicable to us, uh, to know the word of God, to love it, to memorize it, to sing it, to embrace it, to obey it, to apply it, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, all the days of your life, keep yourselves only to him as long as you live until death do you meet. <laughs> Amen. I swapped out part for, yeah. You know, you know, you felt that, right? That was an amen there. Thank you. All right, moving on. It, it moves a little bit faster now. So that's the vow. And now we've got three personal petitions, right? It's going to start private. Then it's going to go to ministry and taking care of the, the, the house of the Lord. That's what is important to them. So first, uh, here we go. We promise, here are three of them that sound funny. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to other peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Two, uh, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any other holiday, holy day. Three, Every seventh year, we'll forego working the land and we'll cancel all debts. Okay, what does that mean? Well, number one, they're making their personal lives accountable to God. All right? So, uh, number one, who we marry, uh, how we do business, and how we arrange our priorities. So, number one, who we marry. Well, you know, we'll marry people like-minded faith. It was never racial. Never. How, how, how can I prove that? Ruth. Oh, Ruth is related to Jesus biologically to his human side. And Rahab. Neither of them are Jewish. They are not Jews. They were foreigners. But they shared the same faith as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That wasn't a problem. Uh, what, did you, what was the Lord's whole thing about that? Well, I mean, he said in Exodus 34, I mean, that had already been a problem and, it, and they had to avoid uh, doing that because Jesus had to come through the Jews. He had to have a pure line and lineage. And so they were messing around with that and they had already uh, done that. The, the same expectation, of course, is for us, not racial, religious. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 Spilling over into chapter 7 says, would you seriously join yourself to an unbeliever? And then Paul just lets, through the Holy Spirit, just gives you unanswerable logic. What do you have in common with them? You can't even pray over your meal at 
Chick-fil-A, or it's not Chick-fil-A. What is it? Is it Chick-fil-A? Yeah, Chick-fil-A. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even pray over a meal, right? And you're going to bring kids into this. And, and, and anyway, they couldn't maintain their Jewishness if they married a Gentile. They just couldn't do it. It was impossible, clean and unclean and dietary kosher things. Uh, they would have to stop being Jewish. And so the, the Lord said, listen, I'm doing something here. You're supposed to be my people together, a light to the world. You guys can't just disseminate that light all over. You have to marry uh, like-kinded. And so that's the deal uh, with us as well. Um, it's still, that spirit of that is still in uh, force. The question, my friend, my young friend, is not, well, God can make it work out. Well, yeah, you know what? People have affairs, and guess what? When they handle it right, God will work it out. People get DUIs, Christians. And, and you know what? If they handle it right, God will work it out. All right? You can never say God will work it out as a justification to do something that God says, you know what, this is the wrong thing to do. Don't do it. Yes, if you're already married and that's the case, God, now we're praying that God will work it out. But uh, he does say, don't do that. Are you going to trade away? And I look over here because that's where they gather, the youngins over <laughs> that end. Well, there are some right there too. Are you going to trade the blessing of God for cute? Cute, cute is temporary. Character and faith is forever, people. And so, you know, here's the problem with the Jews. The Jews were marrying uh, to climb the ladder because there were Persians and Babylonians there and they had a lot of money and power and influence because they were still occupying. So what the Jews did was like, I'm going to marry into the power structure. And now they're saying, hey, in our renewal of vows... We're going to marry the way you want us to marry. We're not going to try to marry to climb the corporate ladder or because somebody's cute. All right? Sorry. You still love me? <laughs> All right. There's one dude looking at me with torches in his eyes. All right. So, moving on. Then he says, uh, then they say, rather, and by the way, uh, we'll obey you in our private lives, in, in, in our romantic heart and also in our business practices. Exodus 20, he said, listen, you're my people. I want you to take one day off a week because why? You have a father in heaven and life isn't all about just, you know, the rat race of making ends meet because you have a father and I take care of you. So I don't want you to be like the rest of the world. I want a day where you rest and you reflect and you rejuvenate and refill the tanks. That's what I want from you. Right, And so part of that, they were getting away with breaking the Sabbath because look at your text. It says, we won't buy because really that wasn't working on the Sabbath to buy their goods. So the Persians, the Babylonians, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, they're in there and they're selling their goods. And they're like, well, this isn't work. I'm buying you know, something that I need. And so they said, listen, we're convicted, we get it, we know we're cutting corners, technically we're not working, but spiritually speaking, we're sinning, and we're so good at that. 
technically to find a way, well, I'm technically not sinning, but you are. That's how good we are at it, you know? We just find little ways that we're not technically do, uh, doing it, but we are violating our conscience. Never, never tolerate, never justify with your mind what your heart condemns. I stole that from another preacher, but uh, it's a good one, isn't it? It was worth stealing, I thought. So yeah, take a day off. And then number three, their third petition is every seventh year. This is a good one. We'll give the farmland a rest. Well, the Lord had commanded Exodus 23, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15. Every seven years, I want you to, to rest from planting again. I want the land to rest. That's what I want. And I'll give you blessings. And so I want you to trust me. So uh, on the sixth year, I will make it a bumper crop and you will have twice as much. And I want you to, to leave the land alone and stop being so greedy. But what happened is they got the bumper crop for 490 years. They got the bumper crop and they thought, oh, next year we're going to have a bumper crop again, right? So instead of using that to get by and resting the land in obedience to God, they spent it or they saved it or they invested it or because they're going to get more. And so they expanded and used that money to buy more fields and, and, and did it just for 490 years. So in Leviticus 26, in the law before they were doing this, he warned them, if you do that, I will remove you from the land and let the land rest. So they did it. And he removed them for how long? 70 years. That equals the 490 years. If you divide 490 by seven, you get 70. So for 70 years, he says, there you go. You know, I, the land is getting its rest. And it got every last year. After the, the land rested, he goes, okay, you guys can go back. And now they're saying, oh, and by the way, <laughs> we're going to let the land rest every seven years. I like it. They learned their lesson, you know. Some people don't, by the way. Oh, there were people who were just saying, oh, you know, doing the same old thing again. And uh, that's not good. So the spiritual application of this portion, the, the three uh, pledges here, they're timeless. Here's what he's saying. Here's what they're saying. God, we won't compromise our love for you for physical attraction or corporate louders or convenience in daily business or for greed or personal gain. Now, that's a spiritual application that you look at that and go, what does that have to do with me? Listen again. Here's what they're saying. See if it has anything to do with you. God, we want... We, we, we don't want to compromise our love for you for physical attractions, to climb a corporate ladder, to, to have convenience in our daily businesses, or for greed or personal financial gain. So they're done with the, the personal heart pledges. Now they turn to ministry 
and to those who minister, to, to take care of the house of God and to provide for ministers. That's part of their pledge. Okay, here we go. First, the house of the Lord. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, the temple. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Okay, so here's what they're saying. They're saying, now, uh, in our renewal of love for you, God, we want to care for what you love. And what you love is Judaism, the Jewish worship, the light of Israel, the light of the world, the temple, and everything that was going on pointing to a savior. He said, you love the house, the ministry, we will support it as well as evidence of our love for you. And so here's what they're saying. Jewish ministry required contributions, gifts, and offerings to operate. Listen. Regular worship services incurred great costs. And so they're saying, we understand that it costs a lot of money to have a ministry. And so we are going to renew our vows to make sure that we're all doing our part. So, uh, because, and he lists some of the things. Hey, we know about the bread, the show bread. There's baking constantly, 24-7 going on, 12 loaves, in the temple that always represented, it was called the bread of presence, the bread of his countenance. It meant, it, it, of course, it leads to the bread of heaven, Jesus, but it was to show that Israel was cared for, uh, supplying bread, God always taking care of them. That was part of the worship. It was always out there. It cost money to always be baking bread and feeding the priests because they ended up eating that. And so it goes on to say grain offerings. There were about five offerings, and they cost money. They had to get that stuff. Grain offerings, burn offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and thank offerings. The people are saying, we recognize that that doesn't just come down from heaven and, and, and enter the sanctuary we bring that. We supply. The people who are benefited by the work of God supply what the work of God needs. And so here's the foundation of all Christian giving here in this passage. And so they're saying, uh, there's, there, there's uh, here in Exodus 30, you can see also that there's a temple tax. They call it the temple tax, the shekel. So every adult Jewish male, 20 and over, is vowing to bring the temple tax on top of their tithing, their offering, and their gifts. All right, so they're just saying, you know what, we're responsible, we're gonna bring uh, that temple tax so that the, there'll be ministry able to happen in the house of God. And by the way, the holidays... The festivals, 
the the new the new moon and all of that uh, they the new moon festivals first of all there were worship services going on every day morning and evening prayer and offerings it costs money to keep everything going there were there were weekly every sabbath there was a big congregation and they would bring offerings but they would feed the people so these offerings, they didn't just throw the, the carcasses out. They'd have barbecues and grain offerings, made bread, and they'd have communal meals. And so they had to come and bring and, 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 and provide for that. So there was daily, there was weekly, monthly, the new moons. The new moon was every first day of the new lunar month, they would say, it's a new month, it's new mercies, let's eat. And so they would enjoy God, and they would have a day off from work. And so that was once a month. And then they had the annual seven feasts annually. So there was daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And what all they're saying is, we get it. It costs money to do all of this stuff. And we're going to be bringing our responsibility there. We feel obligated. And at the end of some of those meetings, thousands of people are eating. Who's paying for the, ut the utensils and the foodstuffs and all of that? They're saying, we, that's ours. Now, today we don't provide animals or grain or, or wood. Uh, that's not what we do. But we have a responsibility, pastors included, uh, to give to the work of the Lord. Where you are being fed where you are being benefited from, that is your primary spiritual obligation to, to give and to support financially. Now, um, I walked over to the business administrator today, the comptroller, if you will, Ronnie Goodlooking Neuerberg. <laughs> and I said, Ronnie, what does it take? Just give me the numbers for rent, insurance, facility, and vans, and office. What did we spend this month on just that? To keep the lights on, just that. And it was $19,985. That's just to keep things, the lights on and the doors open, right? That's not 12 people's salary, 12 that's not ministry to, to, to the Bible college kids or the uh, 12, 12 benevolence ministries that we support, 12. That's not any of that. So we're not in debt, not a penny. We, uh, 13 years, never had a problem. Why? Because we've been blessed, A, by God's grace, B, by healthy Christians who know the Bible and know their obligation, if they are benefiting from the house of God, they have a responsibility to bring a portion of that which God has blessed them to him. Now, what's New Testament giving uh, protocols? Uh, I wrote them down here for us. Uh, number one, uh, prompted by love and in your heart, 1 Corinthians uh, 9, that your giving be prompted by the spirit in your heart and also cheerful. All right, that's 1 Corinthians 9 as well. That it be regular and consistent. And Paul says, first day of every week, right? 1 Corinthians 16. Giving, Christian giving ought to be, uh, there's a mention of sacrificial giving of the Macedonians, 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, also, the word generous is used 
2 Corinthians 9. And it's a way that God gives back to you. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, give, make room, and God will give. That's just a spiritual blessing. So 13 wonderful years. But listen, have you ever heard the phrase, um, what, what's everyone's job is no one's job? Here's what it means. When it's everybody's duty and nobody has anything assigned, right? Everyone ends up thinking someone else is doing it, right? Because there's no assignments, right? And so what they're saying is we're, we get it and we are going to cowboy up. And you know what? If it's a dollar, I'm not going to come to a church and just take take, 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 and take, and realize that 20 grand this month just to keep the doors open, and I spend more on lattes than supporting the work of God because I can't tithe or I can't do this, so I don't do anything. May the Lord deal with all of our hearts in a severe way that says, do not park on somebody else's dime. In other words, somebody else paid $20,000 just to keep the place running so you can sit here and receive. How about you? Five bucks, one buck. I, you know, we're not in debt. I'm not even asking you because we need it. We don't need it. And there's always a gasp from somebody when I say that. Do you have to say we don't need it? Yeah, you, you know what? Well, that's the truth because I'm not asking you because we need it. I'm asking because you need it. You will grow. You will be blessed. I don't know a mature Christian who secretly doesn't give anything. Now, I have no record. I do not know what anybody gives. And I could if I wanted to. Some pastors do. I find that uncomfortable. I want to talk to you the way I want to talk to you. If you're rich or poor or don't give or do give. I just want to be free of all of that information. So I don't know any of that information. Uh, but God does. God does. You know what? And, and you know what? I couldn't preach this if we were in need. But because there's an abundance and blessing, I can preach this and you can't be offended because it's not because of need. And it's not to receive. And we don't even take offerings for that matter. Anyway, I'm moving on. <laughs> Let's finish up. I want you to be blessed. Oh, thank you. This is it. This is it. The last part. Now the ministers. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks and to the, to the house of the Lord, to the priest ministering there. I'll explain that. Verse 37, moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil. They bring a portion. And we will bring a tithe, one-tenth, 
of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of, the, of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers are also kept. We will not neglect the house of God. Love that. So a pledge to support not only the ministry, but the ministers themselves, the staff, because all of these offerings are directed to support the work of full-time priests and Levites who make the ministry possible. So taking care of the staff there at the, uh, the temple, it begins with something called first fruits. So very interesting, the Lord says, off the top, when you, when you go out and you take the first basket, you got the whole row of grapes. I want you to take right from the top, the very first ones that go in there, I want you to dedicate a portion of that, the first, you know, wherever it was, 10% of the crop or whatever it was. That's what you bring. Do not bring to my house what's left over. Don't wait that long because... You will bring it because you're going to need it because of your budgeting, right? So what you do is when you have the full rows and you take the first bunch, you have that. He says, bring that to me. That way it always comes. You'll always support the work. And what's more important to God? God saying, my work is important. Take it from the top, not the bottom. Right, So that's a nice little spiritual application there. And, and so uh, you'll see that included grain and fruit and oil and all kinds of things uh, to bring to, for the temple personnel uh, to be able to have a living, you know. And then uh, verse 36, as the Bible uh, says, they say, we'll bring the firstborn of our sons and the firstborn of our flocks. Well, they're not bringing their firstborns to drop them off uh, at the church. <laughs> the firstborn of the sons and of the livestock were the firstborn Jews saved in the 10th plague that death passed over. So the Lord said, every firstborn of your womb and every firstborn of the cattle belong to me. So he, they'd have to bring the firstborn to the temple and buy him back from the Lord, he's saying, and that money was used to support the work of the ministry. Jesus, they had to come and they had to bring an offering uh, because they had to, to say, hey, this, this belongs to you and we are going to name him. They would name them at those ceremonies anyway. And so uh, the, the kid would get redeemed, and the money would go into the tithe boxes, and the, and the livestock would be eaten, quite frankly. And, and so, yeah. So, but the kid got uh, to go home with mom and dad. Uh, but you did leave an offering. Uh, and, and so 
Uh, next is, uh, we'll be faithful to tithe. And so Leviticus 27, it's an Old Testament thing. They ended up tithing more than 10%. It comes out to about 22% if, if you add up all the giving, right? And so Christians are so funny. They just go 10%, you know? I think it's a great place to start. And a lot of Christian stewardship ministries suggest 10% is a great little training wheels place, you know. Um, and, but depending on your, one of the lines from the New Testament about giving is in keeping with your income. So you got to keep that in mind. Jesus affirmed tithing. Jesus said, hey, tithing's good uh, to the Pharisees who had abusing uh, the tithing, but he said, you know, you should tithe, but don't forget about mercy and being nice to people and those kinds of things. He said, you know, but tithing was a good thing. Um, and notice verse 38, there's accountability in the collecting of the tithes. I like this, that the Levites tithed to the priests. So the Levites, the pastor assistants, had to tithe on the tithe. So they received a tithe, and, and a lot of pastors in churches see this very verse and say, pastors are not excused from the tithing or the giving. And so we've given all of our lives in ministry just because you're working there and you're being supported by tithes and offerings doesn't mean you don't tithe, right? Well, some pastors think like that. That's silly, you know, because they're saying, well, you get it, right? And so the other thing that churches like to do is to have 10% of their budget as uh, a tithe giving. And we try to do that as well and try to, to tithe on the tithes that are coming in um, and do the work of the Lord that way. The final pledge right here is we will not neglect the house of, of God, it's just amazing to me how many Christians can just not. I know that I have a calling and that the pastors have a calling, and I'm supposed to feel a little bit more involved, uh, right, and care about the church. But the same God is in your heart. This is his work here. I need to pray for it and invest in it and, and give and, and be a part. And so when, when, when you see God doing something and you hear the reports from India, you can know I helped send them. That, and, and I promise you, when you stand before God, if you have invested in this ministry, whatever happens in India, you will get a portion thereof. He gives back rewards. Think about that. You want to be a part. Jesus says, invest your money. We're moth and thieves. They can't get at it. You know, invest in the kingdom. And so, uh, in short, here's what they're saying. We love you, Lord. And so, we'll honor you with the renewing of our vows in our private personal lives, in our daily work, in businesses and finances, and in our obligation to your work, we promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace, Lord. And whenever we feel challenged or we feel like, whoa, I've fallen short and I'm just not getting it, and we get corrected, 
Help us to feel good about that in, in a sense, Lord, that you're speaking. You care about us. You love us. And so you, you care enough to correct us so that we will be fruitful. So help us to see your corrections as, uh, as loving as they truly are. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you now stand before the Lord. We'll sing the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.